want to be a martyr. No, I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. See, and you thought we were going to be completely done with the uh, Roman Empire stuff after we were finished up with Diocletian. Au contraire, mon frère, we have more things to discuss. But this is where church history starts to get fun, because after the fall of persecution in official capacity in the Roman Empire, what you begin to see is the crumbling of the Roman Empire, and then thus the the dispersion of ideas in different places and different uh, religions cropping up, and persecution becomes more of a centralized, well, I'm sorry, less of a centralized thing and more of a localized idea. So let's have some fun. We're skipping over Constantine because I don't care, and that's not the point of anything we're talking about. So I have a couple of stories for you in a couple of places, and not a whole lot of details, because when you start dealing with history um, before five or 600 and after, say, 300, it starts to get a little fuzzy, and even after 500, it can still be a little bit fuzzy. So go back in your, in your way back machine to Persia in 320 AD. Christianity is legal because it's technically bordering onto the Roman Empire, but it is not official. So there's still plenty of idolatry, still plenty of hostility. There is a sun-worshipping cult, and the priests like to complain about Christianity. Why? Because they're muscling in on our action, that's why. So it's kind of similar to Diocletian. You're, you're pushing out the stuff that we like in favor of the stuff we don't like. And by the way, <coughs> I just think that's hysterical to think about that Persia is modern-day Iran, and you have Christianity flourishing to the point that it is making cultural impacts in what today is one of the most closed countries on the planet. Just just food for thought. Well, so persecution breaks out. A letter from Constantine is what ultimately halts this persecution. Not a lot of official stories come out of this. Just a little bit of a note that when we talk about God accomplishing his work everywhere— we're seeing that across the empire in all of these different places. So this is where excuse me, this is also where we get to move around a little bit and see the uh, the splintering now that Christianity has reached air quotes legal status. So go to Egypt around 325, you'll see the rise of the Arians. Always remember that the Council of Nicaea in 325 was called in response to the teachings of Arius and should have settled the argument. <sighs> an argument that's really not going to be settled for probably 200 years almost. Talk about fun in church history. So you, this is where you get your first big split in air quotes Christendom. I mean, because of the teachings of the Arians and then the rising and falling of who's in power, who's out of power, who's got authority, who doesn't have authority, who do we like, who don't we like. You'll have guys like Athanasius, um, banished multiple times so the Arians take charge and kick Athanasius out the Orthodox Christians take charge and bring Athanasius back the Arians take charge and kick, kick Athanasius out and you do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around and that's why the bishops keep going back and forth apparently but in the midst of this depending on who's who 
there's this guy named Artemius. Artemius, Artemius, I don't know. Pick one, go with it, there's your pronunciation. He is an army commander in Egypt <coughs> who finds out that he's a Christian. Well, he doesn't find out he's a Christian, but other people find out he's a Christian. So, because there is a soft persecution leading to a hard persecution, he loses his commission. He's no longer an officer in the military. So, he has now lost a good source of income. When he managed to land on his feet, he then lost his property. When that did not uh, lessen his resolve, he ultimately lost his head. And you're going, but I want more details on that. Well, one, you probably don't. But two, I would too, actually. It, this is part of trusting in faithfulness, and this is part of walking, knowing that it is God who is at work in accomplishing, is that you don't get more details, but you get a consistent theme. You get God preserving his people. You get God strengthening faithfulness in the face of persecution and tearing down of your life. You get God holding his people up. The the uh, living out of the uh, verse in Philippians, Christ is enough. Christ is enough. So go to Rome. This is where we'll slow down a little bit. So Rome in 361 AD, Julian ascends as emperor. Now Julian is known to history as Julian the Apostate. That should tell you something about his religious life. He Ray was raised a Christian. He renounces Christianity and begins to restore idol worship. Now Julia, um, Julian, Julius, Julian, Julian has a problem, okay? <clears throat> He's actually a student of history, which means he doesn't want to uh, make the same mistakes that people have made before him. One of the mistakes Julian saw in history was that harsh persecution, because remember, this is recent history. When you're talking about empire-wide, harsh persecution would have been in the lifetime of his grandfather, basically. Because he's a student of this, he recognizes that harsh persecution actually strengthens the resolve of the church and ultimately brings public sympathy to the side of the church. Julian doesn't want to do that, so he starts what's known as a soft purge, a soft persecution. So rather than executions through vicious tortures right off the bat, we're going to work up to that. <laughs> Isn't that so much more comforting? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to have banishments. So if you were a if you were a government employee or you held any military office, you were banned from being a Christian. Now what this had the effect of was if you were a Christian, you kept it quiet. That limited proselytization. That limits the growth of Christianity. And if you were found out, you were booted. So there's a soft purge and a hard purge in the hopes that by doing this, you don't have to go to the trouble of killing the Christians because it will be unpopular and they will be incapable of spreading their nefarious religion as far as Julian is concerned so that you eventually won't have to deal with it anymore. He also went about revoking the clerical privileges that bishops and churches had been enjoying since Constantine. So you're talking, <clears throat> you're talking about government revenue in some instances. You're talking about access to tax funds for church buildings and things like that. That's all being revoked. You're also talking about special tax status in some instances. That's all being revoked. Now, 
as far as named names, again, Julian doesn't try to kill a bunch of people, although the Christian historians want to give him more credit for, credit for more deaths than the secular historians. But he does have three that kind of go together. One is Donatus, who is Bishop of Arezzo, which is uh, south of uh, Florence. It's in the Tuscany region. And Hilarinus, the hermit in the same region. Now, there's a neat little story about these two that apparently there was a communion being celebrated. So Catholic historians are trying to tell you by this point that you're seeing the Mass, and you would be, historically speaking, seeing the rise of the importance of the Supper in the church gathering. But it's, it's not what we would fully consider a developed Mass at this point in history. And apparently there was a gold cup, a, or not a gold cup, a glass cup or a glass chalice that they were using for communion. And uh, Donatus was, had filled the cup and was preparing to offer the prayer before uh, the communion was partaken of when this group of pagans burst in and in the process of this managed to get Donatus to drop the chalice so that it shattered. I mean, glass, you know, onto the ground. You can imagine how that goes. Now, apparently, according to the history, either Donatus or Hilarinus are able to pick up the pieces of the broken chalice and put them back together, and the cup is formed whole so that it is continued to be uh, it is able to be continued to use in the communion services. Uh, Seventy of the pagans that stormed the church are converted on the spot, and for their trouble, because they're now spreading the religion, they are executed. Uh, they're basically beheaded. The other interesting one is Gordianus, Gordianus, however you want to say it, I don't care. Now, this one spans some space and time, because depending on how you connect, and this is, again, where church history gets a little fuzzy sometimes. So, Gordianus, Gordianus, again, pick your spelling, I don't care, is a pagan judge. <coughs> it apparently goes all the way back to the reign of Diocletian. He was part, uh, partial, not partial, my goodness, he was a participant in the trial of Januarius, who was one of the final martyrs under Diocletian's reign. And part of his job was to make them, make the Christians forced to be, be forced to offer sacrifice. So the pinch of incense for the emperor, offer to the uh, the god Saturn, all that good stuff. And if you refuse, we kill you. Well, apparently, at some point in this process and in the uh, execution, pardon the pun, of his duties, he becomes converted. His successor then brings him in and questions him in the same manner that he had questioned previous Christians. He refuses to recant Christ. He is tortured for his trouble, and when he refuses under torture to recant, he is then beheaded. So, you're going, well, this wasn't any fun. There's no good quotes. There's no good stories, and I get that. Part of Christian living is the mundane day-to-day -day life. It is doing the same thing day in and day in and day out. I get up, I get dressed, I go to work, I come home, I raise my family, I go to bed, I get up, I go dressed, I go to work, I come home, I raise my family. You know, you know the deal. And we we get lied to by the world. We only got to be your, get get your fifteen minutes of fame, and you can be internet famous, or you can be TikTok famous, or whatever it happens to be. And we buy into that in the church. We got to do great and mighty things. We got to do powerful things. I've got to expand my comfort zone and do mighty things unto the Lord. No, you got to walk faithfully. And you got to walk faithfully in the mundane day in and day out stuff. You got to do your job. You got to raise your family. 
you've got to honor the Lord and love your neighbor as you love yourself. These are the things you're supposed to do because you've been redeemed by Christ. And as you do them, God strengthens you and cares for you and lifts you up. This is the blessing that you see from the nameless and these storyless martyrs is that they were living, they were functioning, and God preserved them and they were faithful unto death. Why? Because they were faithful day by day, and God was faithful to his promises. Whether the story is big, whether the name is famous, or whether the story is small and the name is almost unknown. It is God who is at work, and God who is carrying his people home. Remember that, Christian. It matters in your life. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.